want to take a moment, uh, just this chapel in particular, uh, with the quality work done, whether it's the video that's at the beginning or choosing singers to come up, just to give a hand for Chapel Planning Media. Um, they are the, uh, the behind the scenes, the unsung heroes of chapel that go on all semester long, three days a week, coming in, setting up before, tearing down after, and uh, whether it's Joel and his team putting together a quality video that just brings us together, makes us laugh, lets us enjoy uh, the time together that we have, or choosing strategically what we're going to use for um, some type of skit or what we did Monday, although I'm just glad I wasn't the one that had to wear the elf costume, and uh, originally I was, John tried setting me up for that, and I was able to dodge it with my experience in working in youth ministry, how to pass the buck uh, when somebody's trying to set you up for failure. So it was John's idea for me to be Elf, and somehow it landed on CJ, and he was a good sport about it. And it wouldn't have been a good scene if I was the Elf and I tried jumping on CJ. <laughs> Just wouldn't have been a good scene. But it's a great week, a lot of fun together, and uh, whether it's thinking about Elf and Christmas movies we love, or talking about what gifts we love to get, this time of year is, is sweet because we're anticipating being uh, back home, being together with people we love. One aspect of Christmas that particularly maybe for me stands out more than anything else uh, is thinking about Christmas music. Uh, if you're like me, maybe you're a, a Christmas music purist and that you will wait until Thanksgiving's over to listen to it. Because otherwise you just, I, I mean, you spread the, th the whole thing out all around the year. It just it's not the same. I like to wait for it. But once it's here, it's on 24-7. Anybody like that out there that once Thanksgiving's over, I'm getting a head nod straight up. This girl's just like, I don't even listen to Christmas music at all, uh, you know. But uh, you maybe, you put it on, it starts going, and you're just into Christmas music. Well, I have a question for you to turn to your neighbor this morning. Hopefully, they brushed their teeth. And uh, I just want you to answer this question. If you could only listen to one Christmas song, oh, I know. Wesley already knows, and I have a feeling I know what it is. But uh, if you can only listen to one Christmas, wham, right? Some George Michael. Wes, just rocking. But uh, turn to your part, the person next to you and just share with them. If you had to only listen to one, that's it. Which would it be? Go ahead and talk to your neighbor about it. One song only. Harry, I feel so bad. One song. This question is obviously controversial. All right, I think that was long enough. Harry Walls, because I feel, I feel sad now, our campus pastor is sitting up here without anybody. Harry, what would be the one song you would listen to if you could only listen to one Christmas song for the month of December? Oh, Holy Night. Any other Oh, Holy Night? We got a lot in the house. How about any Mary Did You Know? Be honest. Yeah? Okay. But no, truth be told, did anybody honestly pick last Christmas, wham. Okay, Dylan, I, I'm going to buy you a drink over at Starbucks today. Just meet me over there. You're getting an eggnog latte for being courageous enough to admit that you would listen to wham for an entire month straight. It's not hard. Just turn on the radio. You're stuck with it. Mine for sure would be Silent Night. It's, it's been my favorite uh, from my youth. And then I think even now we have... Uh, Three babies under the age of four, and so the nights aren't silent. And so there's something about me that just that, that ideal of a, a silent night. It's a dream within a dream right now. But uh, actually, the reason I bring this up is because there is a king of Christmas songs. In fact, 
there's a Christmas song by a particular artist that is not only the number one Christmas song of all time by way of billboard charts and all that stuff, but it's the number one single of all time. The number one music single of all time is a Christmas song. Bing Crosby's White Christmas. If you picked, if you went, if you're like, that's my favorite Christmas jam, you are the champion. You don't get a coffee from me, but you can just, you know, brag on it at lunch to your friends. But yeah, Bing Crosby's I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas is the number one Christmas song and actual single of all time. And truth be told, if we were all to go around and share what we think is the number one, we would have our reasons for it, and we would get into that endless debate, the cycle of debating the greatest of all time, the GOAT. We disagree with that when it comes to greatest athlete of all time or the greatest preacher of all time. We all know it's John MacArthur. Uh, but the greatest movie of all time, the greatest singer. And it's debatable what is the greatest of all time. But I will, I will say that this morning what we're going to look at in Luke 2, if you want to turn there, Luke 2, verse 14. If I had to say, what's the greatest Christmas single of all time? What chorus if there's one that would stand out amongst all the choruses that could be sung around this time of year for this theme, the coming of the Messiah, Advent, where we're going to spend a little time this morning in our meditation is Luke 2.14, but I'll read the greater context from Luke 2.8-20 as we think about the greatest Christmas single of all time. Follow along as I read Luke 2, starting in verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just had been told them. Father, we thank you this morning for a brief time to lift our eyes upward to where you are enthroned in glory in the highest. You have been for all eternity past and will be for all eternity forward. And yet that glory came down so that we could have peace with you going up. Father, that we would know that we are right with you. And so this morning as we would look upon your word for specifically just the, the brief phrase, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased that that would resonate with our hearts this morning. Those twin truths, that you are most worthy of glory and we are most grateful to be pleasing to you. That that reconciliation would lift our souls this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Thank you for the time we've had to sing. That we would want joy to be permeating through our hearts this morning. Joy, unspeakable joy. 
because of that which we have access to through Jesus Christ. That we would say, O come Emmanuel, we, we anticipate you, we thank you that you came because that meant that God would be with us. And that you are with us, you cannot be against us, but only for us in Christ. So in all these things, we bring you praise. I pray for these students and staff and faculty here that this morning, Father, you would get us through this week as it's winding down in a way that only your spirit could do. Only your spirit could work to bring us peace, to bring us joy, to bring us love, to bring us all the things that are the fruit of his presence in our hearts. We thank you and praise you for this time together in Luke this morning. Bless your word, we ask. Amen. Well, the reason I mentioned that this is the greatest song of all time is because, uh, not because I'm some expert in figuring out what makes a song really great, but I thought about that chorus in 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And because right before it, you see it says a heavenly host are praising God and saying, I thought that should fall into the category of a song. But how would we say that this is the greatest song, the greatest Christmas song ever made? Well, I made up some artificial categories that I do believe if we were to apply to any other song and say, how could we decide on what's the greatest song of all time? I offer to you these categories that I see related to the text this morning. There's five of them, and because I do what preachers do, they are alliterated. The first category is this, the reason I believe 214 is the greatest of all time and beneficial for our hearts and our worship of Jesus Christ today and going forward this month. The first reason I would say this is the greatest of all time is primacy. It was the first Christmas song ever sung. Primacy. It's an original. The second category is performance. It was sung by the best voices ever. Third is permanency. It is a song that will stay forever. Not a one-hit wonder. Fourth category is purpose. It deals with the most important message ever. The content of this song is of the highest importance to the listener. And then lastly, what it produces, the effect it has on its audience there and on us this morning. What it produces in us is the greatest response that can be produced in an audience ever. So primacy, performance, permanency, purpose, and product. And we'll just spend a little time looking at that this morning. So our hearts are more inclined to worship Christ today because we find greater joy in Christ today. He is all to us. And this song helps us see that this morning. So first, let's think about the primacy of this song. I think it's the greatest of all time because it was the first in dealing with the actual arrival of the Messiah, not just the anticipation of the Messiah. Because you could find in the Bible songs, psalms or songs. Many psalms were written in anticipation of the Messiah. Psalm 2, you might know Psalm 2, it's a messianic psalm prophesying his reign over all the earth. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together. This could have the Israelites fearful. Look at these nations and kings and rulers stacked on top of each other in Psalm 2. And they're the ones in charge, but they're not because, verse 2, against the Lord and against his anointed Messiah, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords away from us. The, The nations, the rulers down below, down here where there is not peace among men acting like they rule this place. And yet, what does verse 4 say? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. The Israelites would have known Psalm 2 and would have known that the promised Messiah would be this anointed one who sits in the heavens laughing. The king installed upon Zion, the holy mountain. Or they would have known of Psalm 16 
the anticipation of the one, the only one that could fulfill in Psalm 16, 9, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Only one person ever could fulfill that, the Messiah, the one who would not see decay, the one that would die but come back from the dead. And then in verse 11, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Not only did he rise from the dead, this promised Messiah, this anointed one, but he stays in power forever with pleasures forever. So they would have known of songs that would have anticipated the Messiah's arrival, but this song in 14 is the first at his arrival. It's the first song sung that he has come. So in primacy, it's the first ever. And if we believe that imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, has there ever been a chorus, one line in verse 14, more repeated and set to melody than the beauty of the chorus of Luke 2.14? Think about the imitation. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mount, God and sinner reconciled. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. We sang, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight o'er all the earth. Ye who sang creation's story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. The first Noel, in fields where they lay, keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep. Born is the king of Israel. There's imitation all throughout songs ever written about this time of year, and they find themselves rooted in verse 14. The imitation of the song sung by the heavenly host here shows us that the primacy, the originality of this song puts it in a category all by itself. Because in finding inspiration to sing of the Advent, to sing of Christ's coming, finds its foundation here. What's more glorious to sing about this holiday season than the glory of God and the peace that through Jesus Christ comes to us, we have with God and amongst men. It's the greatest theme of all of our Christmas songs. So my first reason to say this is the greatest of all time is its primacy. But second reason, it's performance. It was sung by the best voices ever. It's not hard to spot talent when it comes down from the heavens. And, and not just one angel announcing. Go back to verse 9. There's an angel of the Lord suddenly standing before them announcing Good news of great joy, verse 10. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It took one angel of the Lord to announce, but it took a chorus of heavenly hosts to praise. The angel of the Lord didn't just come down to sing a solo. This word for heavenly host, if you translate, is the word translated an army, a multitude. Perhaps thousands upon thousands. Put yourselves in the sandals of the shepherds on those hills. And so you're, you're, you're afraid because he, when he came, had to tell them, do not be afraid, verse 10. He, he, he warms them up to what is about to come. He says, do not be afraid. I have good news of great joy for you. A Savior who is Christ the Lord is coming. You'll find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So that fear that they had as this angel of the Lord stood before him in the glory of the Lord shining around him helped them a little bit. But put yourself there that maybe now that you've calmed down just a bit, it is that dark night and the stars are out shining and the glory of the Lord is shining around this one individual angel of the Lord and yet, the way I picture it. You ever been in a really 
starry night. I mean, you're just, at one time I was on a mission trip in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we were out in the hinterlands of Mahalisburg, nothing around, we're, we're up in this camp, and it was the first time having grown up near a city where you always get, the lights get flooded out because of the lights of a city. And I'm there and there's nothing around, and it's just sheer black, and against that backdrop you see millions upon millions of stars. I mean, it's almost like there were more stars than there was darkness in the sky. And I'm just picturing these shepherds out there. Yeah, there's this one angel, and then when he stops, in the background, that backdrop of the sky, millions upon millions of stars suddenly come rushing towards them into the foreground, and those bright lights then are this angel's chorus. They were prepared for it. The angel said, hey, we're here with good news, but it still would have been jaw-dropping to hear suddenly, look at verse 13, suddenly out of nowhere there appeared with the angel a multitude, an army of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And this is what angels are created to do. Psalm 103, 20 to 22, bless the Lord you his angels mighty in strength who perform his word obeying the voice of his word. Psalm 148, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all stars of the sky. Praise Him. They are good at this. They're excellent. They're the best of the best because this is what they have been doing from the beginning. Job 38, 7, when God is putting Job on the dock and says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He asks him this question. Tell me if you have understanding. Who set the foundations of the earth's measurements? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? They've been doing this into eternity past and will be into eternity future. So I would say that this is the greatest of all time because of the performance of the angels, the talent associated with it. If you're going to say, what song is in a category of its own? Well, first, it's, it's primacy, and then it's performance, but then third, I want to show you its permanency. Because we can all think of the one-hit wonder song that we liked on repeat for a couple days or weeks or months, or a Christmas song. Maybe we like Christmas songs because if we're true to the month of December, we just take them for a short period of time, but then we put them away for the other 11 months, and so we don't wear them out. And because there's not too many new Christmas songs being written, you get them performed in new ways each year, so there's a freshness to them. But the permanency of this song, these angels, as I mentioned before, they were the sons of God shouting for joy when the bases of the foundation of the earth were sunk. But in Isaiah 6, a thousand years from when Job probably wrote what he wrote in Job 38, what is, I, what is seen of the Lord Jesus Christ, lofty and exalted, the train of his robe filling his temple? What's happening there with the seraphim? Isaiah 6, 3. One called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. These angels were singing to the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. John 12, 41, we find that out. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So into the past of the redemption story and then into the future. What's happening in Revelation 4? Verse 8, the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. 
when it comes to staying power or permanency. This is the greatest song of all time because its praise expands in all of the redemption story of the Bible. This is the great chorus being sung about glory to God in the highest and because of a mediator, because of someone who comes to reconcile God and man is being sung about the peace that that brings down to the earth. The glory that should only ascend up into God in the heavens and the peace that comes down to man here on the earth. So it has permanency. My fourth reason this is the greatest song of all time is its purpose. And this is where it actually gets pretty serious. This is the most important reason. What's the purpose of this song? We'll look back at verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. It has the most important news a person can hear. There is a holy God worthy of highest glory. So how can man be at peace with him? It suggests that. Glory to God in the highest. The angels are singing that irrespective of what the shepherds are thinking. But then they had, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. That's also sung as in ascribing praise to God. Well, how can that be? What's the great message that can make that happen? It's back in verse 11. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The only spot in all the New Testament where Savior Christ and Lord are all used together, signifying that this is the bringing together of all the anticipation that anyone who ever wondered, wondered, how can I be right with God? How can there be peace between me and God? Well, I would need one. I would need a Savior. I would need somebody that could take me from death into life, remove me from being lost into found, taking away the darkness of my heart and, and giving me a new heart. But I would need the Messiah. I would be the one that's been promised. I would need the one that's been anticipated. Not just anyone. This unique king of kings and lord of lords. It wouldn't be David. It wouldn't be Solomon. Still waiting and wondering who can bring this glory of God and his holiest of holy dwellings in the heavens down to earth that he would be pleased with me. I would need a savior. I would need the Messiah. And this then would make him my lord. Because there's no one like him. There's no one else I would call master. There is no one else that I would bow the knee to. All together in this one God-man, Jesus Christ. The greatest purpose of this song is the good news of the gospel. We see that back in verse 10. Don't be afraid. Behold, I'm bringing you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. I love that I'm called to remember this season in particular, when we all are aware of the opportunities we have to share the gospel with people that don't know Christ, that we are telling them, yes, the gospel is good news, but it's good news of great joy. And if that joy isn't true in my heart, in my relationship with Jesus, it's probably not going to come through in me telling somebody else about him. And why I need a text like this, why I need to come back to the simplicity of this message and what it did to reconcile me, a sinner, with, with a holy God is so that it produces in me an authentic, unspeakable joy that motivates me to want to tell someone else about it. To say, you can have this too. All, all the wonder and amazement of the Christmas holiday that we have just by God's common grace, any unbeliever or believer, whatever religion, there's something about this time of year that people seem to be, seem to be, more joyful I mean unless you're on Black Friday trying to get the same Xbox that they're trying to get it can get kind of ugly but if they're the ones that get it then they're filled with joy 
and you're not, but you could always tackle them on the way to the register. But if it's not authentic in my life, if I'm not saying, Adam, what, what is the foremost reason you are excited this time of year? Why does December each year conjure up in you that emotion, that affection for God and for others? And, and what is it that creates that dynamic? If it's not rooted in verse 14, then it's superficial. All the decorations, all, all the get-togethers are pretty superficial if the root of my joy is not this God that is most glorious and the highest is pleased with you. That's the root of the unspeakable joy of this season. Isn't it good to know that God can be pleased with you? And isn't it good also to know, because of verse 11, that His being pleased with me and you is not rooted in our performance. Because it's hard for me not to think that way. Because I tend to think that every relationship I have is rooted somehow in my performance. That if somebody really appreciates me or likes me, it's because I've done something good for them. Or, or if they just see me out of the grace of their own kindness or whatever, do something good for me unprovoked that I need to perform. I need to do something back to them. I need to show gratitude to them. I need to say this for that. And this glorious gospel message of this season erases that. Because for God to be well pleased with me and to have peace with Him, it's rooted in a performance outside of my own that I could have never accomplished if I would have tried for 10 million times 10 million years. I could have been given many a chances to live the perfect life. And I would have never succeeded one time. Because it would have only taken one sin to ruin it. But because I know my own proclivity to sinfulness, when I see God could be well pleased with me, I could have peace with God, I have to look up on the page to verse 11 and say, the reason he could be pleased with me is because a Savior's been born who would stand in my place. And so the good news and the celebration for me this time of year is when I see that God looks at me like he looked at his son. Go write in your Bible one chapter, Luke 3, 21 to 22. It's the baptism of Jesus. Nothing is ordered in chance in the way that the Spirit inspired the text. And, and there's something to me that stands out when I read through Luke and I think about an on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased, well pleased. Luke 3, 22. Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Friends, do you know that in Christ, the same affection God had for His Son in being well pleased with Him, He sets upon you. Imagine hearing God say to you, Luke, with you I'm well pleased. And you would for a moment, I mean, imagine that. You would be blown away and then you'd say, well, 
It's because he was well pleased with his son and I've put my faith. I have trusted in Christ. All of who I am is banking on all of who Christ was and what he did. And therefore God is pleased with me. And there is nothing I can do, perform, to earn more of that being well pleased. And that's the glory of the gospel. So friend, if this time of year perhaps uh, whatever maybe has you weighed down, your relationship with God seems to be stagnant. The way to motivate that, I would say, first and foremost, is to go back to the promise that God is well pleased with you. His love is set upon you because you have trusted in Christ. And if you have not, it would be not right of me to say that God is well pleased with you. If you're not a Christian here today, if you don't have a relationship with God through Christ, you have not put everything all in, all of who you are for all of who he is, trusted in him with everything, knowing that there's nothing good that you could do for him, then verse 14 is not applicable. Yes, glory goes to God in the highest. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you don't have peace with God and he is not pleased with you. And it's not that you could do a bunch of things to make him pleased with you. It's not like, oh, you know what? I'll fix that. No. It's that you would just, like the shepherds, be amazed and wonder and praise and saying, this is the Savior? Of course I'm going to trust and believe in him. Of course I want to go to see this Savior. It's all about Christ. We say Christ is the reason for the season. Let's not forget that. But when we say that, let's root that in something very simple, very true, very in our face here in 11 through 14. That when we say he's the reason for the season is this, that without him, verse 14 is not true. There would be no peace on earth with, among men with whom he's pleased without Christ. And so that's why the greatest content is in this song. Because the purpose of this song is to remind sinners that God can be pleased with them. This glorious, wonderful, loving, joyful God, infinite in all those capacities, could be pleased with us because of Christ. But it just doesn't end there. There's one last reason this is the greatest song of all time to encourage our hearts this morning, and it's in verse 14, uh, or in the following 15 through 20. What effect does this praise have on its audience? Because when we think of a great song... Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And you could say, you know what, friend? This is a great song. Come, let me play this new song for you. It's wonderful and amazing. It's the latest rendition of Mary, Did You Know? It's awesome. You know, I just, I just downloaded it. But if they just sit there and they're not moved to anything, yeah, it's great for you, but it's not for me. What effect does this song produce? Well, first, we see the effect on the angels, the multitude of heavenly hosts showing up. They're praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began shrugging their shoulders and be like, meh, that's okay. No, I'm sorry, if you look back at your text, what did it produce in them? The shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. It produced action. One, they wanted to go see this Savior. They wanted to behold this Messiah. But it wasn't just that. They wanted 
to make known this statement, verse 17, which had been told to them about the Sabbath. They wanted to just not go and see the Savior. They wanted to tell about the Savior. They wanted to tell the story. This is the one who could reconcile God and man. But not just that, verse 20. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. There's no mention of these shepherds in the rest of the Gospels. They disappear off the scene. All they're known for is being told the good news of the Gospel, of great joy in Jesus. They respond in wanting to go see, immediately dropped what they were doing, and beheld the Savior. Talked about it, and then went away glorifying and praising Him. And is that not the story of any Christian's life? What we will be known for is our response to this good news. And what would be better to be said about us than in just a short segment, someone would say of our lives, we lived our life glorifying and praising God for all that we have heard and seen about Jesus. Nothing more was said about these shepherds. I mean, I don't even know why, as I thought upon this text, why did God choose these guys? I mean, what, what, when I just read the flow of chapter 2, Starting in verse 8, I mean, right after Jesus is born in verse 7, it says there's some shepherds out in the fields. And then they're gone by verse 20 and never to be heard of from again. Why? Other than to just show us, this is how we all ought to respond to the good news of the gospel. And particularly in this time of year, because it is the Advent season. That we don't have to wait for Easter to really think deeply on the gospel. No, because it's right here in front of us in Luke 2. That this is the good news of the Savior. This is great joy. And this is reconciliation. This is substitutionary atonement. This is making God and man become reconciled to one another through Jesus Christ alone. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. So like the shepherds, can we leave this scene? with a few weeks left, going back to wherever it is we're going to go back to, wanting to tell, wanting to show, wanting to praise, wanting to glorify. You know, we're, we're, we're at the end of this semester. And I was thinking about back to my college days. Some of you are really good starters and maybe not the greatest finishers. Some of you come out of the gates really strong in your academics. I mean, you do so well the first couple months that you could kind of put it in cruise control right now. But I'm seeing just like a little smirk of cynicism here that I'm imagining most of you may not come out of the gate so fast because you know you have time to make it up by the end. And you may, like I did, justify and rationalize that by saying, you know what, I'm a strong finisher, which is what most procrastinators say. <laughs> There's time on the clock. I can still make it work. But I, I would say that some people are just maybe more prone to not come out of the gates as fast. It could even be in, a, in an athletic event. When I played sports, it, it took me a while to get revved up in the game. Usually somebody had to come and pop me to get me kind of motivated to play, and then I would finish strong in the game. And I think about where we are in December, with a week and a half left in this semester. So much of the worldly emphasis on make a resolution in 2017. Start afresh in January 1. But you know what, if you start doing what you need to be doing right now in your walk with Christ, you won't need to make any resolutions on January 1. If on December 7th you say, you know what, I'm not finishing strong right now, you could, in a sense, mail it in. 
and say, you know what, I'm going to think, I, I want to start 2017 awesome. I'm going to make some spiritual goals. I need to, my life in Christ, I need to get it going. I'm not, I'm not doing too well. So what about the next 24 days? And, and what about this season? The one month a year, we're even still in the secular world, it's known as Christmas. Christ's name is in this month. For us to just say, you know what, I can start today. This text can awaken affections in me that who cares when the clock turns to 2017? It's a day like any other day. But why wouldn't I want to do what I should be doing now, right now? And I'm not talking mostly about grades, but I hope you all finish really well. That's why we're going to get out of here a little bit early today so you could hit the books. But I'm saying your walk in Christ, if it feels cold like these desert nights, I didn't expect it to be this cold moving back here. But if it feels cold to you, warm yourself in the affections that you would have for Jesus, the joy you would have in Jesus, him being your all, by just a simple way of beholding him. Nothing mystical about this. One habit I've gotten into in the last couple years is on December 1st, I start reading the Gospel of Luke one chapter a day. So that by the time I get to Christmas Day, I've read the Gospel of Luke, and I am really moved and stirred to celebrate Christ. Because back in the day, I mean, when I was a high school kid, I would just, I would try to like extend the birth narrative as long as I could in the month of December. Like, I just have to keep reading about Jesus coming. I'm going to go back and read it one more time. And then it occurred to me, but if I behold the entire life of Christ in the gospel of Luke by December 25th, I'm really rejoicing in all of the wonder and amazement of Jesus Christ. As Ephesians says, all the mystery and hidden wisdom are hidden in Christ. Now, we are on December 7th, so that could pose a problem for some of you. Because probably nobody else in here is doing this but me. And I'm already behind two days. Let's be real. But you could, you could just speed it up. You could read two chapters a day and catch up. Or maybe take the Gospel of Mark, 16 chapters. If you started today, even have one day of wiggle room. By Christmas, you will have read a Gospel. And here's the thing why I would encourage you to do it. Because then you could take it slow. And you can meditate on. And, and one aspect I like to do in my journal is just, when I'm reading a chapter, what's one characteristic of Christ that amazes me in this chapter? So that by the end of the month, I've got 24 reasons to praise Christ for his coming. So just an encouragement to you. So that by Christmas Day, you like the angels and responding like the shepherds can say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We praise you this morning for the opportunity we have to come together, to stop and, and see the Savior and be thankful for this simple message of the gospel that's here in Luke 2. That Jesus is Savior, Lord, and Christ. And that, that message from the angel of the Lord to the shepherds was enough for, them, for it to make sense to them that when the angels sang, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men with whom he's pleased. They could put together that they needed to go and see this Christ child to know who this one was that can reconcile man with God. The age-old question of how man could be right with you is answered in Christ. And so, as we would sing this final song this morning, Father, you are already well pleased with us, but may more glory be ascribed to your name as we would sing to you this morning.